as the kids are leaving, uh, today's reading is from Exodus 16. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they came out of Egypt. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in, and that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. So Moses and Aaron said to all the other Israelites, In the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, and in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses told Aaron, Say to the entire Israelite community, Come before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. While Aaron was speaking to the whole Israelite community, they looked toward the desert, and there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you will be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes, like frost on the ground, appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Each one is to gather as much as he needs. Take an omar for each person you have in your tent. The Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the Omar, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Each one gathered as much as he needed. Then the Lord said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as he needed, and when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person, and the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it till morning. So they saved it until morning, as, Israel had, as Moses had commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is the Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. 
Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. Nevertheless, some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather it, but they found none. The Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commands and my instructions? Bear in mind that the Lord has given you the Sabbath. That is why on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Everyone is to stay where he is on the seventh day. No one is to go out. So the people rested on the seventh day. The people of Israel called the bread manna. It was white like coriander seed and tasted like wafers made of honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Take an omer of manna, omer of manna and keep it for generations to come so they can see the bread I gave you to eat in the desert when I brought you out of Egypt. So Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, then place it before the Lord to be kept for generations to come. As the Lord commanded Moses, Aaron put the manna in front of the testimony that it might be kept. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. An omer is one-tenth of an ephah. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Well, good morning, everybody. We've got such a wonderful challenge as a church. We, uh, there are too many of us who want to come and meet, worship together. And so we've gone to two services to, well, allow space in the car park. The car park was full on a Sunday morning. And it's a wonderful challenge because, do you know what? It gives us opportunity to grow as a church. It gives us an opportunity to pray for our friends and our neighbors to come to church on a Sunday morning. It gives us a little bit of space for us to to move our elbows to worship the Lord and for us to kind of have people come in to church on a Sunday. So I encourage us all as a church, tell people about Jesus. I encourage us all as a church, let's pray for our friends and our family and our neighbors that they too may want to come and worship here So we've created an opportunity for us as a church to do something. Pray that others may too know Jesus as their Lord and Savior and that we may have another challenge in a few months, years time where the two services are full, right? And we have to knock these walls down and start again. Who knows? Give it to the Lord. But uh, there we go. Just want to share that. That's why we've gone to two services this morning. But I don't know about you, but I've got two young children and they're the nine and the 11, the girls, and they like eating chewing gum. Now, I don't know, who likes chewing gum here? Anyone? Yeah, it's like, it's a thing, right? And they'll eat the chewing gum, and when the flavor goes, they're like, Dad, I've got some chewing gum here. And I'm like, I don't know, you're in Walmart doing your shopping, and you think, what do I do with this? So you just put it in your mouth, don't you? And just chew it. Does anybody do that? Is that just me? Okay. <laughs> So you're like chewing the gum. And then five minutes later, they're like, Dad, can I have that chewing gum back? And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, right. And so you give it back to them and (laughs) off they go. And it's fine, right? Because they're my kids. You know, I can do that, right? Um, (laughs) Okay, gum. Thanks, buddy. 
It's like hockey, right? It's, it's not, it's like ice hockey, okay? Because you play on ice. Okay, anyhow, gum. They're eating gum. And so they, I don't mind that. They're my kids. However, if I was eating some gum, and then, I, you know, one of you came to me and said, hey, can I have your gum? You know, Terry, you know, he says, can I have your gum, Simon? I'm like, yeah, there you go, Terry. And I go over and I give it to Terry and he starts chewing it away. And he says, oh, the flavor's gone. Simon, do you want it back? Would you, would you take it off him and eat it? Would anyone do that? It sounds, no, okay. <laughs> Thank you. You wouldn't, would you? It's a bit disgusting. It's a bit like, ugh, why would, who would, I look at your faces right now, cringing with the concept of eating someone else's gum and sharing it around. But you know what? This is like complaining to the Lord. It says in James, James 3, verse 10. One minute you're praising God, having a good time. It says that you're praising the Lord and you're worshiping him. And then with another voice, you're complaining. You're giving it back to, you just, you just, it's detestable to the Lord. James 3 verse 10. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. With one hand, we praise God. We come on a Sunday and we sing songs and we say, God is good. And everyone says amen to that. God is good. Amen. amen. And then the next breath we go home and we're complaining about something. We're complaining that we don't like the food that we're having. Or we're complaining about the boss at work. Or we're complaining about the worship band playing the wrong songs. We need to have more hymns. Or you go home and we have too many hymns. We need more modern songs. Whatever. And then the next day, you go to the prayer meeting on a Wednesday morning at 6.30 and you have your porridge and you're praying to the Lord and God is good again. But then you'll go home and you complain that the pastor wears shorts in the pulpit or... (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like, to the Lord, it's detestable. It's like eating, sharing gum with one another. I, don't, I just think that for the Lord, one minute with our mouths, we're praising him, and the next minute, it's so easy to grumble, and God is just, what is going on? I don't like this. And this is what the people of Israel were doing. They left Egypt, and they saw God was good, and they saw his provision, and he saw that the Lord was providing for them, and they're praising his name. They sing to the Lord, for he's highly exalted. Chapter 15 we see so a whole a whole chapter just devoted to praising the Lord. Who among the gods is like you? Verse eleven, O Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. The people are praising God, and then the next minute they're grumbling about all sorts of things. Chapter 16, verse 1, the whole Israel community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month. 
after they come out of Egypt. Literally, they've left Egypt and they've been there for about 40, 45 days. And they've gone from praising the Lord to grumbling. God has worked powerful miracles to bring this, the mightiest empire to its knees, Egypt. They've seen great miracles over a course of a year. They've seen the Lord literally part the ocean and for them a million people to walk through. God, they're praising God. God is good. And then in the next chapter, chapter 15, they go in the desert, the wilderness. It should have taken them at least a week to get to the promised land. And they're in the wilderness and they're grumbling about not having enough water. And then the next minute, they're praising God. God is good. He's provided water. And then the next thing is, chapter 16, they're grumbling because, oh, there's not enough food for us, for our bellies. It's like that chewing gum. That chewing gum is like our tongue. One minute it's for God, and the next minute we're discontent with life. Then back to God again. And it's so easy for us to complain as people. I had Googled uh, things that people complain about in Canada, and uh, Google's always right. And so this is the top 10 things that people complain about. And I'm not going to share all top 10, but some of the interesting things. Number one, what do we complain about most is, is just the weather. That's right. The weather. The weather's so good. It's so hot. And then two days later, oh, it's raining. I hate this rain. You know, you know oh, we need so much rain. In, in August, we need the rain. We need, and then September comes. Oh, this stupid rain. What's it doing? It's so easy to complain. Number two, the number two things to complain about is our jobs. Uh, number five, I thought this is interesting, slow internet. <laughs> I remember, who remembers dial-up? You know that, that's that weird thing with the telephone? And then if someone's on the telephone, then he couldn't dial up to the internet. Or, or someone was on the internet, he couldn't answer the telephone, remember that? And it was so slow. You Cambridge students won't have a clue what I'm talking about. It was like the worst internet connection ever, like 20 years ago. And then Wi-Fi came out. And that you were able to like, uh, you know, sit uh, under a tree somewhere and like, you know, use your laptop there. And it was like, wow, this is fantastic. And now I complain that I, I don't have like one terabyte download speed. It's like, oh, it's so slow. Technology's come on so fast and I still complain about how slow the internet is. The seventh uh, thing people complain about is people complaining. So I thought that. <laughs> Too many people complain about complaining. But we like, to, we like to complain. It's in our nature. It's so easy to complain and to grumble. And there's two types of people that can, we can fall into two, two categories. There's habitual complaining. It's just where you basically just complain about everything all of the time. I don't know if you know anybody like that, you know, your spouse or something, I don't know. But they just complain about anything all the time. And then there's the other type of complaining is the venting complaining. So in life, things just build up and build up and all of a sudden you snap 
And then everything just comes out like bleh, and you just complain about all sorts of things. But hard times can bring out the best and the worst in people. The time spent in the wilderness for the people of God demonstrated the truth of the people of Israel. But it also demonstrated the goodness of God. So what can we learn from the people in the wilderness as they're going through the desert? The first thing is this, that they are looking back in their lives with rose-tinted glasses. So we're looking at the grumbly people, but they look back with with rose-tinted glasses. Verse three, it says, the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. When I was a lad, when I was a lad, it was a lot better. Whoever says that. I, I had the privilege of going to Cape Ray Bible School the other week. And, uh, I've, you know, I have fond, fond memories of being there 20 years ago. And I was saying to one of the staff, I said, the football pitch here is terrible. There's like sheep roaming around and, you know, it's on a slope uh, and it, like, the lines are all wibbly wobbly. I said, I remember 20 years ago when it was a really good football pitch. What's happened to it? And he said, it's always been like that, Simon. But I remember it with the good old days, Right. When I was younger and I was more athletic and all the girls would line up and watch all the guys play football and, you know, you're like, oh, I like that one on the corner there and you'd, you'd play really well so you can get a girlfriend and all of that, right? I remember those days and if you scored a goal, you'd get a date on a nighttime or whatever, right? But that's what I'm remembering and you forget the reality of the things because I'm looking back with nostalgia and rose-tinted glasses. And, and that's what the people are doing here. They're looking back saying, we sat around eating meat from pots. But in reality, they were slaves. The reality was there was hopelessness and despair. They're crying out to the Lord. They're crying out saying that we're, we're in slaves. We're having to make bricks without straw. We've got to go and find our own straw. We're being beaten. We're being beaten to death. And literally 45 days later, they're saying it was better in Egypt. It's so easy for us to look back with rose-tinted glasses in the past. But the second thing that we can learn from this is that they, they struggle to have trust in their leadership team. They get at Moses, the struggle to trust in Moses. Verse three continues. It says that we sat around eating pots of meat all day, but you, Moses, you and Aaron, have brought us into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. This skewed view of the past leads them to cast suspicion on their leaders. Look at these false accusations. You've brought us out here to starve. They're hungry, my wife says. You know, when I'm hungry, I says, you get, you're hungry again, Simon. They're hungry. They're, they're hungry and they're blaming their leaders. It's so easy to grumble when we are under authority. When we're our own person and you don't have to answer anybody, it's easier. You're accountable to yourself. But when you come under authority, it's so much easier to grumble. But that kind of grumbling that the people are doing, 
is slowly, rapidly undermining the leadership of Moses and of Aaron. And the, th- but the third thing is this. What they're doing really is that they're displaying hostility to God. Verse 8. Moses also said, You will know that it was the Lord when he gives you meat to eat in the evening and all the bread you want in the morning because he has heard your grumbling against, against who? Against him, against the Lord. Who are we? You are not grumbling against us, but against the Lord. The grumbling was actually against God. Who are we? They forgot who they are. We're just servants of God. We're just the people of God under his care, in his stewardship. If we really believe that God is in control, then we can't take Christian leadership lightly because we are under the authority and the stewardship of God. Even David wouldn't kill Saul because he was under the authority of God. He was a man of God. To oppose leaders in this situation is directly opposing God. So what does the grumbling do? Well, it wears everybody down. Everybody's worn down. The Israelites are worn down. Moses and Aaron are worn down. The kind of leaders are worn down. It kind of grumbling helps us to kind of focus on the past as opposed to the future and where they're going. And thirdly, grumbling undermines all sorts of people, all sorts of leaderships. As far as I'm aware in the Bible, there isn't a spiritual gift for grumbling. But we seem to get good at it sometimes as people. Grumbling is not a healthy criticism. I welcome uh, criticism. You know, constructive criticism is a good thing. It makes us better. I say to my eldership team, I welcome you to come and give me some criticism. Come, come in and, and, and tell me how I can do better. How can I be a better person? How can I be better in my leadership skills? How can I be better in preaching? Come, give me feedback and tell me how I can improve. There's a difference between grumbling and constructive criticism. One builds people up and one pulls people down. Do our criticisms serve to encourage and help others to grow in their love for Jesus? That's the question I always ask myself when I'm willing to start grumbling about somebody or something. Grumbling, though, based in this passage, is ultimately a lack of faith in God. Do we trust that he knows what he's doing and that he's in control and that he will be fair to us? So, that's it. So the people grumble, um, but they also have, my second point is that they have a gracious God. And this gracious God, what he does, he supplies for their needs. He supplies food for these people's needs. Despite their grumbling, God is gracious and merciful and provides for them what they need. It's a real picture of the grace and the mercy and the tenderness of God that he should abundantly provide for them, even though they are grumbling. Psalm 154, 155, sorry, Psalm 145 verse 8 says this, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. 
That is the God that we serve. Verses 11 and 12. The Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumblings of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that I am Yahweh, that I am Jehovah, your God. God is good. Despite their grumbling, God still provided for their needs. And there are two foods miraculously provided for the Israelites. In verse 13, it says they got quail, and in the morning that there was these flakes of, of manna that was there. Verse 15, it says, when the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is it? That lying on the ground. That's what manna means. Manna means, what is it? Literally. They could have called it anything. It just shows their heart for these Israelites. What is this? They could have called it God's miraculous provision. They could have called it God is good. They could have called it God's awesome food. And yet they call it, what, what is this? It just demonstrates to me that these people still don't understand what God can do in their lives. God is good. And he doesn't just provide this manna for one day. Verse 35 says, the Israelites ate manna for 40 years. Despite their grumblings, despite them getting into the promised land, God still provided for them. And the good thing is, this miracle of food, God provided for them. He also provided a day where they could rest from getting the food. He's not just providing food for them, but he's teaching them about having a Sabbath day as well. I love that. He says you can get twice as much on the, on the Saturday, on the sixth day, you can get twice as much so you can have a rest on the Sunday. God is gracious and kind and he knows what is good for us. That is why it's important that people didn't have the Bible then. We do. Let me encourage you. God knows what is best for us as people today and it is written in here. What's our standard that we live by today? The teaching of the word of the Lord. Keep reading the Bible. God knows what is good for us. But God continues with his grace and his provision to provide for these people. He doesn't treat them what they deserve. They were grumbling against the Lord. What do they deserve? Probably if my kids are grumbling to me, what do I do? Do I give them treats? I don't, I say, you don't get rewarded for bad behavior. And yet God is almost rewarding them for their grumbling. That is mercy and grace in abundance there. Mercy is not receiving something that we deserve. And grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. And the people of God here are receiving mercy and grace. The gospel, just there. But God tests them as well. In verse four it says, then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. 
The people are to go out each day and gather enough food for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they will follow my instructions. They will test. God's going to, that's it, thank you. God's going to test them. As we learned last week in Camp Emmerdine, I don't know about you, but I had a great day. I don't know if you came out last week to Emmerdine, but it was fantastic. We learned last week at Emmerdine that the people of God were called out of Egypt to enter into the promised land. And they could have been there in seven to 10 days. And that land is described as Sabbath. The land of the people of God is described as Sabbath. And Sabbath literally means, well, in Exodus, in Genesis chapter two, verse two, it says um, rest. But the real meaning of Sabbath is to cease, to cease from uh, your routine, to cease from your regular laboring. The people of God could have went into the Sabbath. They could have went into their rest. They could have went into the promises of God. And yet because of their disobedience, for 40 years, they never ended into God's rest. God here is testing their faith and how they will respond. If God wants people to be faithful, he provides an opportunity for them to demonstrate their faith. What opportunities of God's faithfulness is he applying into your life today? That you can demonstrate you believe and trust in God. Is there a situation where you're, you're praying to God for an answer, but God is saying, this is an opportunity to demonstrate your faith. Perhaps it's a time of waiting. God is testing his people here. If God is sovereign, then he knows how the people are going to act anyhow, but he's giving you an opportunity to demonstrate your faith to him. Verse 20, it tells us here that they didn't believe and trust in God. They had one job to do. Go and collect the manna every day and just get enough for your needs. And it says here that everyone's needs was met. Whoever was hungry, they could, they could fill their boots. And whoever ate little, they were, they were supplied for. But just collect enough for that day. Verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and they began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. They had one job to do, gather enough food for your day. And they still couldn't do that. Or oh, we'll just keep a bit extra for tomorrow. Or oh, it says later on, on the Sabbath, have it, you have your day of rest. And some people went out to find the manna and it wasn't there. Fail. They didn't trust in the Lord's provision and guidance. They had one job to do and they didn't do it. They had to simply rely on God for their daily Needs. It's a matter of trust in the Lord for our daily needs. They were to live in continual dependence on God rather than thinking that they can do it in their own strength and stockpile what they needed. Verse 27, nevertheless, some of the people went on the seventh day to gather it and found none of it. They had one job to do. It's all in our best interests to trust in the Lord. The Lord has our best interest at heart. He wants us to grow and he wants us to flourish. 
the mandate for Sabbath here actually predates the Ten Commandments. God is teaching them to rest even before the Ten Commandments are established. He provides water. He provides food. He provides an ordinance of rest. He provides a promised land for them to walk into. And yet the people of God still don't quite get it. They still turn their back on God. But the most wonderful thing about all of this is that it points towards Jesus Christ. Who would have thought it, eh? The people in the wilderness are walking around and yet still it shows us the glory of Jesus to come. My final point is that it reveals Jesus. Jesus would describe himself as the bread of life. John 6, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to John 6. And it's my third point. John 6. And we've been looking at this over the summer holidays. John 6, 30 to 35. Jesus has been going around and he fed the 5,000. And then he says, so they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you, Jesus? What will you do? Our forefathers ate manna in the desert as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth. It is not Moses who's given you the bread from heaven, but it was my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am. Ego Amy, I am, I am God. <clears throat> I am the God who showed up in the burning bush. I am who I am. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger and he who believes in me will never be thirsty again. The bread of life is the basic stuff we need to survive. And Jesus describes himself as that basic stuff of life. The matter in the desert was a picture of Jesus. Through him, it is now possible to live forever. Not simply wiping out hunger, but wiping out sin and making heaven fit for us. Or for us to be fit for heaven. I've said this before and I'll say it again. When we are in Christ... Heaven is there ready for us one day and that can never be taken away. But when Christ is in us, when the Christ, the living, transforming presence of Jesus Christ is living in and through us, we are fit for earth. He is working in and through us, making us more like him every single day. The people in this passage were looking for food that would fill their bellies for a moment. But Jesus is offering rest that will last for eternity. I am the bread of life, he says. Do we trust in God? Do we really have faith that sovereign God knows what is best for our lives? Or are we trying to live our own lives independently from God? There's a wonderful man called George Muller. I don't know if you've ever heard of him before, 
George Muller was uh, somebody who established um, uh, care homes, orphanages for, for children uh, in England many years ago. And George Muller trusted in the Lord that he would provide for all of his needs for these orphanages. He established 117 schools, which, imagine that, 117. He established 117 schools which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children. And he trusted the Lord would provide financially for these kids. And he had some orphanages. And one of the most famous stories I, I love about George Muller is a time when God provided in a time when he had nothing. George Muller, he trusted in the Lord and he grounded his ministry in prayer. And through the prayer life of George Muller, God was able to do miraculous things all for the glory of God. One of the most famous stories was one morning, George Muller was in his office and his assistant, Jim Wright, came to him and said, George, we don't have any food for our children. Uh, all these orphans, there's no breakfast. What do we do? George said, give me a minute. I'm going to go and sort it out. So he goes in his office and he prays to God, God, thank you for the food that we're going to eat. Amen. And then he says to Jim, it's all sorted out. Well, uh, don't worry about it. So Jim says, go and set the tables up as you would normally. And so Jim goes, <clears throat> and then a beggar comes knocking on the door in the orphanage and says, I've been up since two o'clock in the morning. I don't know why, and I've just baked loads of bread for you. Can you eat it? And Jim's like, yes, yes, we'll, we'll take it. And then two minutes later, another knock on the door, and there's a milkman. And he says, my cart's broken outside. The wheel's snapped. And I've got all this milk and it's going to go off. I can't move it. Can you have the milk? And George was like, yes, we can. Bring it in. And so they were able to feed all these children bread and milk that morning. I encourage you, praise God. God is good. And I, I've seen this in my ministry. When you've prayed for something to happen, God, God can do it. When it's for his glory and it's for his people, God steps up and he never disappoints. Muller testifies that during his life, many, many prayers were answered by God, but we've got to be ministering sometimes on our knees when we're praying for God to do the miraculous because why? We trust that he can do it. I pray that every seat in this church is full because people want to know about Jesus. Pray with me. Now we can see this church, both services packed out because people want to hear about Jesus Christ and worship God. Basic question I want to ask us this morning is this, is God enough for us in our daily needs? What does the Lord's Prayer say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What does it say about our daily bread? Give us our... Give us our daily bread. Doesn't say give me more than I need, but Lord, just give me my daily bread. I love how this passage ends, verse 35. The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to a land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. God provided their needs every single day until they went and entered into the promised land. Doesn't that sound promising? 
Isn't isn't God good? It shows me that God is true to his promises. But it raises so many questions in my mind for me as an individual. Do I trust that God can do more than I can possibly imagine? Today in 2023, is Jesus the real bread of life? Is he enough for me in my life? Or am I looking for something else that will satisfy my needs? And am I trusting in God? When God tests my faith, am I being obedient to him? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have this example of the Israelites, Lord, who you provided for their needs so much, and yet they continue to turn their back on you. I pray, Lord, Heavenly Father, in our lives, as we continue to grow and seek you in all things, Lord, I pray that in our hearts, you are enough for us. In our hearts, we know that it is only Jesus that can satisfy. And I thank you, Lord, that even when we look at the Old Testament, sometimes think, hey, that's not relevant. It all points towards Jesus. We thank you that we live this side of the cross where we have the word of God. But I pray, Lord, that in all things, in everything that we have, Christ is enough for me. We pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen.